You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 131 Speaking Persian. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. This week's episode, we're talking with Yara Elmjui, who is a James Beard award-winning Emmy-nominated journalist for AJ+, about his language of Persian. I've been a big fan of Yara's work for a long time, and I'm thrilled to have had the chance to talk with him about Persian language and Iranian and Iranian-American culture and heritage. In this episode, we talk about some of his favorite things about Persian language, including direct object identifiers and its similarity to other languages he's familiar with. We talk about growing up between the U.S. and Iran, navigating the cultural differences between the two places. Yara talks to us about exploring rural parts of Iran with his dad and encountering firsthand how language varies around the country. He also tells us about his path to becoming a journalist and being intentional about reconnecting to his Persian heritage. Big thank you to Yara for this conversation and for sharing your language, culture, and your work with all of us. If you enjoy this episode of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. If you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now pledge ongoing support for the show on buymeacoffee.com or on patreon.com. Special shout out to Speaking Tongues recent supporters and patrons, Heidi L, Linnea H, Pat N, and Jotty A. For just $5 a month, you will have access to excerpts of this conversation that did not make it to the full published episode. And as you know, I wrote a book. My Food Zine of International Language and Cuisine, Taste Buds Volume 1, is available now for purchase. Check social media for the sneak peek inside the book and make sure you purchase one for yourself and one for your friends. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I am so excited, so excited to have this conversation and to welcome Yara to Speaking Tongues. How are you today, Yara? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited as well. Yeah. And I have to, full disclosure, I told you, but maybe my guests don't know, I have wanted to have a conversation with you for so long. So this is such a pleasure for me and such a joy um, to get to talk about your languages, your culture and your work. Um, I'm thrilled. (laughs) Me too. No, I mean, I definitely, we talked a little bit about some of the stuff and that we might be discussing today. So I I love, I'm very excited to talk to you about all this. I love languages. I'm a huge language buff. So awesome. I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Ah, okay. So the first language I learned to speak was Persian. Uh, which sometimes is referred to as Farsi. Uh, Iranians call it Farsi in their own language. And yeah, that was the first language I learned to speak. And it was mainly because that was the language that my parents were speaking to me in and the language that they were strongest in. They're you know from Iran. 
uh, Farsi, Persian is their native language. So yeah, that was that. And then I learned English basically in American, you know, public school uh, from, you know, my classmates and what have you. Yeah. Should we be saying Persian or Farsi? So <laughs> this is so funny. Or is like, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. This is like a age old question now um, that even Iranians sort of debate. So what's interesting is that in the English language, the language of Iran is referred to as Persian. It is like, it, that's the name of the language in English, similar to how Spanish, we call Spanish Spanish. We don't call it Espanol. We call German German. We don't call it Deutsche. We don't call, you know, French is not referred to as Francais, even though that's how the French would say it. Yeah. So Persian and Farsi have a similar dynamic where Persian is what the language is called in the English language. And then Farsi is what Iranians call their language in their language when they're speaking to each other. That said, because of the use basically of both words, I mean, both words have become very common. And so a lot of Iranians who immigrate here, obviously, they're just like, oh, people ask them what language you speak. And they immediately say, well, oh, I speak Farsi. Like there's no really. And it's such an easy to pronounce word in English anyway. So I feel that's why over the years, both both have sort of become common. And so I don't really personally mind which one. I personally use Persian. Um, some still, some say Farsi, some alternate, um, but they are referring to the same thing in the context of Iran. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I learned that like Persian can also refer to like Dari as it's spoken mm -hmm. in no, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's like, you know, for me, like learning all this stuff is so cool and just like how things are connected and have been connected before our modern political borders. I think it's like super important. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just on a note about that, it's just really interesting. So Persian, you can consider to be like the father sort of language category. And then in Iran, Persian is referred to as Farsi. In Afghanistan, Persian is referred to as Dari or Dari in English. And then uh, in Tajikistan, it's just Tajik. So like you really get those three are all Persian, those three countries. But again, they refer to them in their own, you know, sort of uh, way, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Have you had any contact with these other languages where you're able to notice similarities and differences between them? Mm -hmm. So they are fundamentally the same. Uh, oh, okay. It's kind of like almost, I guess, maybe a comparison might be similar to saying like the Spanish that's spoken in, hmm, I mean, now there's a lot more similarities with the internet and satellite TV and all that stuff. But like, yeah. I guess the Spanish that's spoken in Bolivia versus the Spanish that's spoken in Spain versus, you know, yeah. So that sort of is the dissimilarity maybe between the Persian that's spoken in Iran and the Persian that's spoken in Afghanistan. Uh, I sometimes am called upon for my company to translate sound bites from, you know, in, in daddy from, you know, Afghans. And I mostly understand, but every now and again, they'll use different words. Mm. And I just can't understand either the accent or they're using a couple, you know, vocab words that may be drawn from Arabic or may be drawn from English or may actually be drawn from old Persian. Like oh. it's a pure old Persian word that Afghans still use and Iranians now use an Arabic word instead or it's very yeah, it gets very complex wow but yeah. yeah it's funny how which languages decide to keep and hold on to uh certain words from the original language and then yeah. other dialects don't they uh, might use an American word instead or French right. word sometimes. it's very funny oh wow that's so cool yeah man 
I love what language does. And, you know, even saying like holding on to like old Persian or just, mm -hmm. wow, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as I understand, I, I hope I'm correct because I remember reading this, but like in Afghanistan, the word that is used for uncle, I suppose, is kaka. And that's an old, old Persian word. And Iranians use the Arabic amu, you know, uh, mm. amu is, is a fully Arabic, yeah, so word. Uh, and and uh, and it's just fascinating to see that, again, Iran, you know, you would assume, you know, they speak Persian, Afghans speak Persian. But yeah, again, they're the Afghans are actually using, in that case, a more traditional kind of uh, original Persian word for this concept. Um, I you know, love all that. sorts of historical reasons as to, yeah. I love that. <laughs> Such a, like, rich historical region too like linguistically culturally food wise music like mm. i'm like enamored. No. enamored i just think it's like so beautiful um do you want to talk a bit about the language and just mm -hmm. like you know when we're speaking farsi you know give us some idea of how the language is constructed like how do we form sentences um mm. do we have genders um is it tonal or you know any other features of the language that you you find interesting totally ooh so many things okay so <laughs> cuz i mean this is like perfect conversation for me because i love i mean I feel like in an alternative, you know, alternate life, I would have become a linguistics, you know, major or something in college. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the most interesting things with Persian, and I've noticed this with uh, Japanese as well, and I believe Turkish, I think, has this, um, although, again, I'm not a master linguist, but uh, <laughs> I think this has been brought to my attention that uh, it's common in these in these languages. But we have this thing called a direct object identifier. Mm -hmm. So imagine in English, you say... I drink the water, right? In that sentence, the object, basically the thing that has the action performed on it is the water. The water is being drunk. Like that is the thing that the verb is doing a thing to, if I can <laughs> explain it that way. Uh, in Persian, um, what we do is that, well, we, we obviously we have direct objects and all these things, but we have a direct object identifier, a marker, essentially, an additional sound that we add to the sentence that indicates, hey, 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 this is the thing that's having a verb performed on it. Hmm. So let me explain. Uh, basically, you would say, for example, let me, man, okay, I'm going to say it in Persian. I drink the water. Man ab ra mihoran. So man is I, ab is water. Mihoram is drink or eat. Um, but what you what I didn't explain right now was ra. Man ab ra mihoram. And ra in that case is like a ding 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 ding. This is the this is the object. Oh. This is the thing that's gonna have a verb uh performed on it. You don't know what the verb is yet because the verb comes at the end of the sentence in Persian. So that's very interesting. You can another thing with Persian. So that's that's one of my most favorite things. And Japanese has the same thing. Japanese, instead of ra, the direct object identifier or the sound or what have you, is wo, or when you speak quickly, just o. So, you know, in Japanese, you would say, um, what is watashi wa mizuo nomimasu? Basically, o in that case, mizu is water, and you say mizuo, similar to Iranians saying ab ra. Anyways, <laughs> it's kind of really getting into the weeds, but... The last thing I will say is that Persian ends with a verb. So it's subject, uh, let's see, man, oh my God, subject, object, verb. Mm -hmm. So um, basically you would say, yeah. And so what, what ends up happening is that 
sometimes with very long sentences. And I noticed this with like newscasts as, you know, new Persian learners are starting to get their hands dirty with the language. You'll say all of these things. For example, I was at the restaurant with my friends seated under the table at 4 p.m. after school, but before dinner, I ate a cheesecake or something oh. like that. <laughs> or something like, or rather you could say I ate after school before the, before the dinner under the table with my friends, a cheesecake, right? So like, uh, or rather, sorry, I, I, I screwed that up. I, the verb should come at the end. But anyways, you, you don't understand, I guess, I guess you could say what the verb is until the very, very end of the sentence. So again, in that sentence, man abro mi I, water, raw, uh, drink. So um, that sometimes can take a while. The sentence is very long to understand, like, what is the action? What's the hullabaloo about this sentence? Until yeah. You know what that makes me think and wonder? Mm. What is the storytelling tradition like in Iran? Like, mm. is there a rich history of telling stories? Because it seems to me, mm. as someone who hasn't studied this language, when you have all of this information coming your way you're kind of keeping people on the hook and you're mm. keeping them to kind of okay like under like to know what the verb is or to know what the action is mm -hmm. and you are bringing them along on this journey through your story mm -hmm. and i would imagine a language like farsi persian um would lend itself very well to oral tradition of storytelling is that something that we've seen in iran yeah, of course, totally. Um, there, I mean, there's there's always been a, a very, very huge tradition, to my knowledge, of oral storytelling, something that uh, is, uh, you know, no, we, we're obviously the Persian language is filled with poetry and Iranians are very proud of their history of poetry and storytelling that goes back, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, one of my kind of most favorite sort of things is that we have in, in Iran, we have this sort of, you know, Hercules-esque epic known as the Shahnameh. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of our, again, it's our equivalent of maybe the Iliad or the Odyssey or something like that. And a huge, huge epic poem story uh, that tells great tales of, you know, evil villains like a Medusa-esque figure known as Zahak and, you know, then these, you know, heroic uh, protagonists such as uh, Rostam, you know, and Sohrab and all these things. Um, and and one of the things that happens is that obviously the entire sort of epic is quite long with many, many stories and many characters, again, just like kind of Homer's works. But something that's common is that, um, and I've never actually seen this myself, I've only seen videos of it, but apparently, uh, I think in coffee houses or wherever, there's this tradition of, of people acting out, you know, in front of like a, a wall sometimes uh parts of the story and sort of uh, maybe really really animatedly uh narrating the story mm. and there's a word for it, it escapes me but there's a specific tradition and someone's like standing in front of a wall and like oh and then rostam took his sword and stabbed it into the heart of this evil monster and then the monster da -da -da. and it's like someone is really animatedly doing there's even documentaries about this phenomenon of this sort of wall storytelling if you could imagine it that way yeah Wow. So yeah, um, yes, we do have very, very long tradition of of storytelling, and and it is quite beautiful. Hopefully, I mean, and ideally, in a world where Iran and kind of the West had uh, more of a relationship, 
I think more Americans would perhaps have the opportunity to learn more about this and see it. But again, these sorts of cultural exchanges are quite limited due to, you know, years know. of political hostility and all that stuff. I know. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I feel yeah. like, well, I'm I'm getting off topic as I told you I would yeah, at some fine. point, but like, I want to go to Iran so bad. It looks so beautiful and well, I'm sad. Oh, yeah, no, I wish I've always wanted to bring my American friends. Uh, I think when I was living in Iran, I haven't been back in like what seven, seven years now, I think seven or eight years. Oh, my. Uh, and yeah, no, I, I once went to the foreign ministry, you know, to try to fill out a form or something to invite some of my American friends. And I just remember it being such a process. And oh. specifically with Americans, it's it's quite, quite difficult. They usually have to go through these like certified tour companies that have you know, minders that, you know, basically they're very, I mean, the minders are just like, you know, young 20 something, 30 something people that just follow around and like, you know, do bureaucratic work, but they have to, you know, officially follow the American tour group. And yeah, it's a whole process. Well, we hope for better days. Yes. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Um. So tell, tell us a bit about your, you know, your upbringing and a bit about, you know, you, I mean, you told me, but, you know, going uh, between the U.S., between Iran and and the kind of, you know, relationship that you've had um, with, you know, between the U.S. And, and Iran. Yeah, for sure. So I was born in Los Gatos, California, sort of, I guess, Los Gatos slash San Jose. The hospital is basically on the border, very close to both cities. And uh, yeah, I was born there, but immediately after I was born, I think uh, I think some I think the last thing I was told was I was like 45 days old, something like that. Very, very <laughs> young. My family kind of took me, uh, infant baby child, to Iran, and all you know the entire family got to see the new baby, and that was a big deal. And I don't remember that obviously, but then, yeah, I basically you know in my youth and my like when I was a kid, we moved back and forth between Iran and the United States uh, quite significantly. And my understanding is I think my parents were sort of, you know, maybe toying with the idea of potentially either moving there or just kind of living a significant part of our lives there. Um, with the baby, obviously you have family all around you in Iran so they can take care of the baby and you want the family to be raised with family, I'm sorry, the baby to be raised with family and all that stuff. So I think that must have been like a very big consideration for them. So yeah, again, in my formative early years, I, I spent a lot of time when I was three. I do remember this a lot more. Uh, we spent, I think, a very significant, like a year or so, I believe, in Iran. And then I also left kindergarten early in the United States uh, and finished it at an international school in, in Iran for a little bit um, while I was there. And so, yeah, we, we had a little bit of back and forth. And it was also kind of like a very sensible trip for us to take. It's just the flight, essentially, and you pay for the flight. And then we're there for, let's say, the summer and we're staying with family. There's it's free. We get to travel around. The currency kind of exchange gives us a little bit, you know, the dollar compared to the Iranian real. So we can travel around the country and, and go to restaurants. And it's yeah. So it's a very, you know, economically sensible family trip, mm -hmm. but also a way to like instill the culture in a child and all that stuff. So I was very, very privileged. Uh, to have this opportunity as a kid and to be able to frequently go to Iran. And naturally, with Persian being my first language, um, that just kind of lent itself naturally to me and engaging with my family and, you know, learning to speak Persian just, you know, normally like an Iranian kid would. 
I would play with kids sometimes in the street. We had these little plastic soccer balls. Anyways, yeah, so that was Iran was a very significant part of my upbringing as a kid. And then after my parents got a divorce when I was seven, we wouldn't obviously spend magnificent giant chunks of time there as much. But my dad loved going back. He yeah. loved going back. So uh, basically, we would sometimes spend I would spend the summer, like three months of summer between, oh you no, know, yeah, oh. one part of whatever fifth, fourth grade, whatever year uh in iran and my dad's sort of hobby he loved exploring villages like mm. rural villages in iran and as a kid obviously american kid i'm watching power rangers rugrats <laughs> mcdonald's like and i'm like you know you know i'm using the, the western american toilet and then this village is like everything but all those things so <laughs> there's no tv there's no power range. i mean there's tv i should say but it's just you know local you know channels and and you know, and so, and the, the bathroom <laughs> situation is, you know, taking some getting used to for me as a kid, the squatting toilet, which actually is better for you, honestly, in terms yeah. of <laughs> ergonomically, <laughs> yeah, evacuating your bowels and all that stuff. So, but I didn't like it. So, but he loved it. So he would drag me along. We'd just be on these like, you know, multi hour long road trips in the middle of what I would consider nowhere. We'd come across a small village and then we'd spend the night there oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so I spent a lot of time in as a kid in, in, in rural parts of Iran which is I think a, a little bit of a different uh experience than you know the more cosmopolitan capital city Tehran and, and all that stuff yeah um I'm gonna tell you a quick story and mm -hmm. you know this is this is about you so I'm gonna make this uh this is the story's about me but this episode no, is about, about you it. so yeah. Um, it's so funny. Like I relate to that on a, on a smaller level, like my, my mom's family is Bahamian. So mm. we spent our summers in the Bahamas. Mm. And I remember like growing up in the eighties, all my friends were going to Disney world mm. and they were going to Tampa and stuff like that. And then, you know, we would always go to, to the Bahamas. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to yeah. do this. I want to be in the magic <laughs> kingdom. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not interested. And the thing was like, you know, we would go with my grandmother and see her friends and, you know, go around. And when <laughs> I'm laughing because when we would get to the airport, I'd see all these people going to the resort and they got to go on water slides mm. and they got to have like, you know, burgers and fries and mm. all, the, you know, the things that kids want. Yeah. But we were like on the other side in my great grandmother's house. And it was just like very not the opposite of New York city. Right. So I, <laughs> yeah. I just remember always feeling like I want what everybody else has, you know, yeah. but then I, I, I'm also in, you know, telling this story because I know like you, like you've, as you've grown up, you've come to appreciate those experiences yeah. and really reconnect with them and relate to them more. And I just think it's so, cool how you know as as kids you know we we think we know everything and we know what we want but then we eventually come around to kind of appreciate these smaller experiences um oh totally it's very relatable no I completely agree with you I think in the moment I just wanted Dunkaroos and burgers and yeah I wanted all the things that you know I mean let's be frank my my you know American friends were having uh and I grew up in a largely like white American town with like the, the picket fence and the, the lawns. And you can just imagine suburbia in that sort of sense. And, you know, going to Iran and also it's like, you know, you also don't have something to come back with at show and tell, you know, when you're in elementary school, when you're middle school, like 
people are like, what's Iran? Blah, 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 blah. Like, no one really cares. It's like, well, me and like so-and-so went to Disney. Yeah, exactly. Disneyland. And like, everyone's like, oh, so cool. Did you get to like, oh, you saw the Mickey Mouse? Like, you saw the 55-year-old man dressed up as Mickey Mouse? <laughs> like, you know, like, and people are like, yeah, it was so cool. But um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because now as adults, people are very interested in mm. travel and Iran. Wow, that's so cool. And I'm very grateful that my my parents and, you know, mainly my dad really, really forced me to go <laughs> on this trip. And again, it may not have been cool then, but looking back on it now, I mean, the language skills that I developed, my, you know, gut bacteria and in my intestines <laughs> is now more diverse. Um, and, and the food I got to eat again, it's just and now being able to communicate, you know, and I think one of the things that's so sad is because of the lack of a relationship between Iran and the United States, because, you know, for 40, 44 years now, uh, a lot of Iranian Americans, uh, of which there are hundreds of thousands, some say a million, over a million, you know, depending on how you measure who is Iranian American, one parent is, one parent isn't, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But a lot of Iranian Americans haven't had the opportunity to be able to connect with, you know, the culture in the motherland. Maybe they don't, and many of them don't speak. And I hear so mm -hmm. many stories. I, I work sometimes in the Persian language instruction space. And I hear stories sometimes and it like breaks my heart where families move to the United States and they're very, very keen on assimilation, especially because of this very tumultuous relationship between Iran and the United States where Iran, you know, had a very bloody revolution and all that stuff. And then there was the hostage crisis where American diplomats were taken hostage in 1979, uh, you know, 80. And so many Iranians who come here, there was a lot of anti-Iranian sentiment. So they kind of just suppressed this part of their identity. Some people changed their names. You know, there's a lot of, you know, an uh, anthropological accounts of people saying they're Persian instead of Iranian to kind mm. of mask the connection. Some people said they were Greek or Italian. Some people wow. even said they were Lebanese, right? It was actually more convenient to say you were Arab in, you know, that time because of, um, you know, popular consensus and perceptions in the United States than it was to say Iranian because Iran, again, big revolution, bloody anti-American revolution, American hostages. So Americans were like, you know, so Iranians coming here just tried to mask that. And then some of them um, also, you know, I hear this a lot. It's so interesting speaking to other Iranian Americans, like uh, my parents, you know, didn't want to teach me Persian because they just wanted to make sure that I could blend in to American yeah. society as much as possible given the extreme hardship that the parents faced in terms of blending in, in terms of immigration can be difficult and agonizing. And so, and, you know, it's, it's a, I totally understand. I'm not here to blame anyone for anything like circumstances are circumstances and had history unfolded differently. Maybe, you know, the parents would be like, Oh, it's safe. Like let's teach you this and teach you that. But because of circumstances that happens. And so, uh, yeah, that's why to kind of bring it back, I think having that connection to the homeland, um, it's just a bummer that that it's so many folks I see them, they really want to go and they can't sometimes maybe they don't have an Iranian passport, maybe their parents were political refugees due to the you know, revolution of 1979. Mm -hmm. There's so many reasons. And, yeah. and yeah, not to go on about this, but it's, it's <laughs> okay. I just wish in an ideal world, like, more of our diaspora community had this this privilege and maybe in the future if there's a change of some sort in iran uh more of us can have this connection and, yeah uh, yeah i hope for that too i really okay. do mm -hmm. yeah it's it must be hard to be 
so far from your or so disconnected from your homeland and the, mm. the land of your parents, your grandparents. And mm -hmm. I, I really wish that for our Iranian American brothers and sisters. Mm, thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> Fingers yeah. crossed. I want to go back to the rural villages that yeah. you visited <laughs> yeah. in Iran yeah. because yeah. this is so cool to me. Um when you were and uh if you were old enough to think about this at the time or maybe mm -hmm. in retrospect i don't know but i would imagine a country as beautiful and big and vast and diverse as iran um the language changes as you're moving through different parts mm -hmm. of the country um when you were visiting these uh, rural villages um did you notice communication changing in any ways or did you notice or since as you've been back as an adult like have you noticed how communication changes or how the language has specific nuances in different mm. places that it doesn't have in others yeah so what's interesting is iran like you mentioned uh perfectly iran is a very ethnically and linguistically diverse place again persian is the official language of the country it is the language that you know the public schools will teach everyone but in people's homes, you know, people might speak a different language, right? Depending on the region you're from, uh, you know, Iran has something like, I think, eight, you know, let's just kind of put a date, but it might be somewhere around there. Several, let's say several major ethnic groups. There are obviously Persians, there are Arabs, there are Kurds, there are Turks, there are Baluch people. And you know, the list goes on, Lor, and then uh, what am I missing? Torkaman. Anyway, all these different ethnic groups. And of course, that comes with a lot of, and oh, Azari, how could I forget? Azaris are huge, huge, huge contingent in Iran. And so Azari, Azerbaijan, you know, that, that you know, they speak Azari. And so Azari is a very common language, I think, in the, in the rural towns that we would go to. They would speak this Turkic language of Azari. And I obviously didn't understand any of it. Uh, my dad's mom and my dad's dad, so my paternal grandparents, they somehow spoke Azari, even though I don't mm. believe they were ethnically Azari. I don't even understand the connection of why they could understand it and speak it. But for whatever reason, that is their situation and they spoke. And so they understood, but they didn't come with us on these trips. So it was me and my dad and and his, his side of uh, his cousins. So Azari would be spoken. I don't, I mean, it's it's so long ago that for me, it was just this like, what is this mysterious language? So I probably mm. couldn't fully grasp where we were and what language was being spoken. But Azari, I'm very certain Azari was definitely part of that experience. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the thing. And then obviously, the, you know, the village, people in the villages, if their native tongue is Azari, if it's Kurdish, if it's, you know, uh, what have you, they will speak Persian with an accent. Uh, and and that was something I did notice. And even that accent sometimes made it a little bit difficult accent and also like, you know, the sort of mannerisms and the colloquialisms and the idioms that they might use made it difficult for me as an like Iranian American who learned, you know, Persian mostly in the US to like also understand them, even though we're all speaking Persian, it's almost like I'm listening to an Afghan speak Persian or, or wow. daddy as it's called, right? For me, sometimes I'd be like, oh, what is he saying? Oh, it's like, Yara, the bathroom's over there. Yara, the bath, that she said the bathroom's over there. Like, so <laughs> my dad would, you know, translate sometimes. So it's, I mean, it's it's really incredible. And, and um, you know, you really get to see, like just to go into these villages and see that, you know, there is a whole other linguistic world within Iran uh, that exists and, and yeah, but that's the thing. It's it's very, very limited for me. Those memories, these are from like 20, gosh, like 25 years ago. It's like, how old was I? Seven, something like that. <laughs> uh, 
a whole other world. Yeah. As you've traveled back as an adult, how have you noticed language? Well, this is maybe I should ask this in two parts. Mm -hmm. Um, As you've traveled back as an adult and, you know, you like you said, you learned Persian here in the U.S. So I'm thinking and I always think this with any Mm -hmm. language when you have Mm -hmm. um, when you're learning from your family that has immigrated um, the language is there and is fundamental, but in mm. so- certain ways it gets stuck in time. So mm. there are things that you say or things that were said maybe, you know, 20 years ago, 30 mm. years ago. And then when you go back, people are like, nobody says that anymore. <laughs> or like, you sound yeah. like my grandmother or something like that. Like, did you have any instances like that? And I guess the second part of that question is, how have you noticed in all these years of going back and forth how have you noticed the language changing at all that's a very very fascinating and important point and mm-hmm. i'm so glad you put your finger on this because so generally again because you know there was this very traumatic you know world changing event the 1979 revolution in iran uh that led to the basically the ballooning of the iranian american diaspora and generally the iranian diaspora i would say like it really really started to grow at a very accelerated pace because of this historical event. So you have this sort of break from that moment. So it's almost like there's, you know, uh, pre-1979 Persian and post-1979 Persian mm. uh, spoken among. And I will say they're they're still largely the same. It's it's not, these are, they're very small differences, but you can definitely see sometimes if you go, for example, in Los Angeles, which has a lot of folks that immigrated to the U.S. at that time that formed the community colloquially referred to as Tehranjelis, you know, the little Iranianville in L.A. Tehranjelis! Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Google that. You'll, you'll find some fun videos about. You know, so it's like, cute. And so, you know, you'll see some, you know, uh, again, slight differences in how people speak, some terms and idioms that are used. I'm trying to recall now, like, what specific uh, phrases and things were used then. For example, you know, you know, one time I was listening to an interview with the former queen of Iran, you know, part of the previous regime. And she was referring to the word airplane as tayyore. Tayyore comes from an Arabic word, ta'ira. Ta'ira means plane in Arabic. So Iranians had just taken the Arabic word for many years and would say, you know, I guess some sort of version of the word that the Iranians took, but they turned ta'ira into tayyore. And she kept saying it on this interview. I remember I was like, what does that word mean? This is before I had learned Arabic in college. And and basically the word that Iranians now almost, I mean, not almost everyone uses for the word airplane is Haval Peyma. It's a new word that was created by Iran's equivalent of the modern language association, like MLA Iranian style, where they go in and they speak, specifically identify, you know, sometimes foreign words, whether from Arabic or English or whatever. And they try to come up with a Persian equivalent. Yes. And okay. so they've done that in the past. You know, and and one of the words that successfully was replaced was tayyore ta'ira, airplane from Arabic, and they turned into Hawapemal. And so, you know, I, I'm not saying I, I go to LA and I hear people say tayyore. I've really only heard the queen say this in an interview, but it is an <laughs> example of some of the phrases. Like another phrase, for example, that maybe may have been or is joked sometimes in modern Iran to may have been, you know, more common in the past is like durud bar shama. Durud uh, would be like, you know, I guess peace be upon you or something like that. Or I, I believe that might be the translation or, or greetings upon you or something like that for hello. Greetings be upon you. I don't know. Um, you know, today we in Iranians and even before in the past as well, I don't want to say that this was some sort of thing that people would, you know, but um, 
we say salam. Salam is hello. It's from Arabic, you know, Islam, salam, all these hello. things are related. Uh, assalamu alaikum, you know, so it's an Arabic word. We all say it. It's super simple. It's super fast, super easy. But, you know, there was kind of a joke uh, in this program uh, by Mehran Modiri when I was, um, I think around, maybe about like a decade ago, this program came about. And he was specifically making fun of the pre-revolutionary Iranian Persian versus the post-revolutionary Persian and how the pre-revolutionary ones, you know, sometimes they really, he, he kind of was, was making this joke of like, oh, they really like to use the super Persian like old school phrases. And he kept saying, durud bashamo, durud, durud, durud bashamo. Greetings be upon you, greetings be upon you, greetings be. And it just sounded so funny to him, you know, uh, and <laughs> to one of to one of us who just says, salam, hello, boom, yeah. quick, fast. Mm -hmm. But again, also salam was very common before 1979. This is not in any way for me to say that. But I guess, how do I explain? It's just kind of like a, maybe durud bashamo perhaps may have mm. been used a slight bit more back then. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Anyway, that's really deep cuts. Like, I wonder, if, I wonder if your listeners would find that interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I th I think it's interesting, and I, I always wonder about that because language is living, language is alive, yeah. and and you know, to your um, you know, talking about the revolution in 79, 1979, um, that's a traumatic experience, and mm. that affects people in you know so many ways, and in so many ways to different degrees is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, and I, I didn't really think about it before, you know, asking that question, but that would obviously affect language also because mm -hmm. language is alive and, you know, it, it, it created a shift, I imagine. And, uh, I will note one thing. I mean, just in between what you're saying that mm -hmm. maybe more demonstrably, I think, um, you know, the 1979 revolution is uh, referred to as the Islamic revolution of 1979. Ayatollah Khomeini, this sort of Muslim cleric, uh, became the supreme leader of Iran, essentially, mm. uh, and established what's known as the Islamic Republic of Iran, which is the current kind of regime that, that uh, governs the country. And you know, one thing that is commonly colloquially said, and I can anecdotally sort of point to this, but I don't have you know, access to a statistical report, but it does, it would appear that a lot more Arabic phrases, uh, sometimes taken perhaps from religious teachings of Islam, have sort of entered modern colloquial um, spoken Persian today. More so, I mean, I, Persian, I think we need needs to be said, has always had a significant number of Arabic words in it. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say some of the more perhaps religious teachings that are now, you know, broadcast much more heavily on state television than they were prior to the revolution. And just like everything is, a lot of things are usually couched in those religious teachings now because the government is being run by, you know, religious clerics right. uh, in many ways. Those have seeped into the language more. So I would say that sometimes is the difference. Sometimes you'll see these like young, hip, cool Tehran Iranians, you know, religious or not, they'll use some of these phrases that are very couched in Arabic, Islamic sort of language, but they've entered the colloquial sphere. And so now, that may be one big difference, for example, in the past kind of colloquial Persian before 1979 and today. So I figured that might be like a worthwhile, more of like a general trend I've noticed. Yeah, that's interesting. So I mentioned to you that um, I became familiar with your work through my friend in Sydney, my friend Candice, and she is a Persian uh, speaker, learner, um, mm. and lover of all things Persian. And mm -hmm. I 
asked her if she had a question for you. Oh, so I want to ask yes. uh, her question, um, ask this question on, on her behalf. She would love to know, what is one recommendation you have for non-Iranians learning Farsi mm. uh, for how to engage in the culture and or community in a meaningful way? Um, mm. And she's specifically talking about, um, not so much about um, advocacy about Iranian issues, uh, but about building genuine relationships, et cetera. Mm. So, well, one very functional thing, I think, you know, I'm going to plug this in here because a friend of mine runs this wonderful online Persian language instruction program. It's called Chai and Conversation. Oh. It is lovely. The Even the graphic design and the interface design of the website, so easy to use, so fun. And it actually brings together Persian learners from all over the English speaking world. And you have this sort of online community. You speak to each other. There's live sessions. Uh, there's chat sessions where the different learners are talking to each other. And again, you build this. Some people like, oh, I have an Iranian spouse. <laughs> so I wanted to learn. Oh, I'm going to travel to Iran. I want to, to learn a little bit here. I just have an interest in Iran and Iranian culture. So I'm going to join this program. So I highly recommend functionally. In terms of more like lived experience, I mean, I think one thing I've noticed is that Iranians will congregate at Iranian places. <laughs> so whether it's an Iranian tea shop or whether it's an Iranian restaurant in New York City, there's a lot of great ones. You know, two of my favorites are Sofre and Aval. But I think, yeah, I think maybe frequenting those sorts of places, although I will say maybe Sofre and Aval may not be a place where you can meet other Iranians to like really get to know the community and maybe make some friends. So perhaps a better spot would be the Iranian tapas bar in Bushwick, Masquerade. That's a great spot where people make friends. It's just such a lively, just sort of uh, gregarious sort of, an, you know, people and environment. That's a great spot. But yeah, I'd say Masquerade is a great spot to meet folks. But yeah, my, my recommendation would be to go like frequent Iranian spaces, supermarkets. <laughs> if you want to meet another Iranian, uh, make a friend while you're staring at the saffron packets, look over to your left and say, ha ha, this is so expensive. <laughs> and the other person might be like, yes, what's your name? <laughs> I don't know that maybe I'm imagining some sort of weird rom-com uh, <laughs> at a Persian supermarket. But... It's a Persian meat cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We met while staring at the same saffron packet. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be my thing. Again, functionally, the language program, build community, and then real life, like go into some spaces. I highly recommend. Yeah. Okay. I might try a few of those myself, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely recommend. They're all great. Um, <laughs> what were some things that helped you to um, reconnect with... Mm. Um, with your heritage, with your Persian heritage and, and language. And I should say this, um, I don't think we set this up for the listener, but as you mm. spoke to me about, mm. you know, getting older and getting to that point in high school, college, where you felt more of a connection and you were being mm. intent about reconnecting with, um, with your heritage, uh, and your, and your language, like, what was that like for you? And, and maybe why did you feel that, urge mm -hmm. to to reconnect Ooh, a great question um i can definitely trace it back to um let's see the first time i you know actively started to consider you know like really pursuing an interest in my own heritage and improving my language skills again my persian as a kid was i mean good enough to talk to my parents and talk about very simple things but certainly not good enough to like even fully understand perhaps a newscast in persian uh, or even fully get understand it like an Iranian film. Um, and so I think I can trace it back to 
senior year of high school, I believe that's what it was. Oh, gosh, I have to like trace back these memories because I was thinking about this and I can't really tell if it was senior year or junior year. In any case, it was around that time, senior year and 2009 there in Iran, there was a massive, massive protest movement. Actually, you could say it's quite comparable to the one that we just observed over the past several months, the sort of women life freedom movement, you know, that was led by women, um, against Iran's current sort of government uh, regime, I should say. And 2009 was what was called the, the Green Movement. It was a huge, huge protest. Sometimes, you know, some, some estimates say like hundreds of thousands of people in the streets uh, protesting the results of uh, what was said to be a fraudulent election that re-elected the sort of the conservative firebrand president Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, uh, even though sort of the opposition candidate Mir Hossein Mousavi was, you know, protesters said, you know, the candidate should have won the election had there been no rigging. Uh, and 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 this is what was reported and, and so on and so forth. And so that movement was known as the Green Movement because a lot of the, the sort of the, the color of the Musavi campaign, the opposition members campaign was green. So you see all mm. these green wristbands, green headbands, green, you know, headscarves, green shirts. Um, and this just like sea of green just flooded, you know, specifically Tehran. And that sort of really activated me, I think, um, at that time, 2009, I was just graduating from high school. And I just remember kind of vividly, like, this is the first time I could see a reflection of myself in Iran. I was like, oh, my God, like, look at all these young people. Mm. I'd always traveled to Iran. I'd see family and family's cool and cousins are cool. But like, cool hipster people are way cooler than like you know like these kids were so fashionable and like the way they wore their green wristbands it's almost like being on the g train or the l train being like oh my god <laughs> you are so fashionable like that's so cool or you look so cool and so uh i remember just being taken by this these super cool young people that looked like me right no one in my you know suburban town really looks like me but then there's this entire country where everyone looks like me everyone has thick well not everyone i can't say this but thick eyebrows and like <laughs> you know uh pronounced noses and these are all like features that are common and so i think that was what moved me i was like what are these young people so passionate about they're protesting every day and that got me involved i started to read the news voraciously and i suddenly you know and up until that point i remember kind of being like the iranian in my high school teachers would come up to me and, and sort of ask me questions about iran iran's president was very conservative and just was making headlines for some of his really you know outrageous statements and teachers would come up to me yeah you remember ahmadinejad yeah, was, you know, yeah. like oh yara so this iran situation this president yesterday on the news he said this thing Yara, what do you make of it? What do your parents make of it? I mean, I'd just be like after class, like the science teacher would like ask me questions and I'd be like, uh, I don't know. And I'm like wearing my skate shoes, trying to go home and like watch Dragon Ball Z. And here I am being asked questions about the conservative president of Iran as if I'm a political analyst. So that sort of goaded me in the direction of like, oh, maybe I should learn more. And then this protest movement happened in 2009. And I was like, oh my God, I should definitely learn more. And I want to learn more. I want to be able to field these questions and answer them, you know, appropriately. And so after that, I sort of switched gears. I wanted to be a video game journalist, like, you know, from my teenage years. And I switched gears to wanting to be a journalist that covered Iran. I wanted to travel to Iran and live there and report for a Western publication to ideally in my utopian ideal mind helped dispel these misunderstandings between Americans and Iranians and in this sort of unicorn pony, you know, mm. triceratops, mm -hmm. you know, fantasy <laughs> land 
of my own. Iranians and Americans could come together in peace and you could bridge the two broken halves of our identities, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. All that sort of stuff that a 19, you know, whatever, 18 year old might think of. And so, yeah, that from, from 2009 onwards, that was the sort of activation moment for me was the green movement, the protests against the disputed election of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. And from there, I just became, I, I have a very sort of uh, compulsive like attitude about things that I'm passionate about, whether it's video games, if it's Persian, if it's Iranian politics, like I will rabbit hole the shit mm. out of that. <laughs> you know? And so I went down, I so many Wikipedia pages, I watched so many YouTube videos, I bought books, I tried, I got the Rosetta Stone for Persian, which is very outdated and not, you know, definitely needs a little bit of sprucing up. I'm sure they've spruced it maybe in the past, whatever, 15 years, but um, just went down. And then uh, I transferred to New York University after my freshman year. And lo and behold, they had Persian language classes. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately enrolled. I took the classes. Then I took Persian literature classes. And I spent every uh, summer uh, of college. So it's sophomore year, summer or freshman year, summer, sophomore year, summer, junior year, summer uh, in Iran. I spent all three months in Iran taking more Persian language classes at the University of Tehran, sort of sister institute, oh the Dehoda Institute. No, I was like, literally, this is what I mean, like rabbit holing it. I just like fully was like, I need to learn everything. I started watching BBC Persian, uh, which is really a yeah, Persian language TV broadcast of, I would just come home from class and college and just like sit there and watch and then write down all the words I didn't understand that the newscasters were saying I memorized the whole staff of BBC Persian like <laughs> they all became like these characters like this reporter that reporter oh my gosh and no I just got super into it and and every summer being in Iran I would again not only take classes but then also start translating for friends and, and artists and documentary filmmakers and all that stuff and um, yeah, until I basically decided to move there after college and, you know, be a freelance journalist for Western publications, hoping to achieve that dream and, you know, sort of came crumbling down after a few events. But, you know, that's a whole story in itself. <laughs> uh, while we're here, I'd love to hear and I'd love for my listeners to hear, you know, some of the uh, some of about some of your journalism work, some of the stories that you've done, some of your reporting. Um mm. Let us know all that good stuff and where we can where we can read your work or see your work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've definitely taken a turn from being like a print reporter in Tehran. Uh, after moving back, I mean, kind of the summary of it is I, I got a job at AJ Plus, which is Al Jazeera's sort of uh, digital young people branch. And uh, I started making news videos for them, but then I transitioned slowly over time. I've been there for seven years uh, to making these documentaries that I would host and produce. Uh, and in, in, you know, in large part in the earlier years, I would you know play a significant role in the editing process as well, like video editing. And uh, our show is, is titled Eat This with Yara. Um, it's a show that looks at the intersection of like food with culture, society, politics, uh, the environment, science. Uh, basically, anytime food intersects with an issue, um, <laughs> it's kind of a story or a history. You know, it's kind of something that we might pounce on and, and try to see if we can sort of tell that story. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff is all on YouTube. I mean, it's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but YouTube is the most searchable. Um, you can go see our documentaries. Um, yeah, we've been making them for about like four and a half years or so, five years now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why my friend told me, you got to check out what Yara is doing, because I was writing my book at the time. I have a, uh, it's a book, it's a zine, it's a, 
it's a thing I created, um, talking about language and food mm. and the connections between language and culture and food. And, um, it has some recipes in there too. So she was like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta check out Yara and see what he's doing. And, oh. um, I'm a fan of your series. So oh, thank uh, you. Thank you for making it. And, oh. um, this is amazing. This is like, so cool. Uh, all the work that you do and the work that you've done, um, oh. I will add links to those in the show notes for this episode so that people who are listening can click and find you and your work right away. Oh, thank you so much. That's really like uplifting to hear that. And and yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been privileged to be able to continue the show for quite some time and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do more. I think we're going to hopefully try to do an international episode or so this year. We've never done that before. So maybe there's something there. We'll see. Um, but it's just, it's such an interesting, I mean, it's a very weird niche and sometimes it can be tough for us to find ideas and topics that we want to go after because it's very much, we can't just do a piece on like delicious food and we can't just do a piece on like a history. It has to be a very, you know, it's like a history that demonstrates in some way like human resilience or something like that. And then it has to have some food tie in. And then it's just finding those sorts of stories where that might, you know, work is, uh, it's part of the challenge. It's part of the fun. And, and yeah. we've def I mean, one of my, I've just kind of raised one of the weirdest ones is how we found this phallic shaped clam that is indigenous to the Pacific <laughs> Northwest of the United States. And I remember that one. Yeah, that, that was a very <laughs> interesting, but what's interesting is that this phallic clam, this, I mean, for lack of a better word, penis shaped clam has helped revive Native American community, <laughs> a Native American community in that region because they export it to China where it's a very prized seafood mm -hmm. and they make tons of money yeah. and they've been able to fund social services for their indigenous community. And so that's the kind of, you know, intersection of there's geopolitics, there, there's like, there's economy, there's indigenous history. And, you know, so there's, and there's this clan that's quite delicious yeah um, anyways but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely encourage my listeners to um you know to watch your stories because I just think they're so masterfully crafted and created oh, and you. the way that you tell a story is like so inspiring like to me I'm like I want to be more like Yara when I tell stories I have a lot to learn um, from someone like you. So I really appreciate all the work that you've, you're doing, that you will do, that you have done. Um, and it's great. It's, it's like, I'm just so happy to be, you know, <laughs> to, to know you and to know your work. So oh, thank um, you, Elle. It's very, yeah, very sweet. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're amazing. Well, thank you so much again for this conversation. Um, I don't think you told us where we can find you on social media. Uh, yes. Uh, just let us know uh, where we can find you on social so we can, we can all go run and follow you. Yeah. So uh, I think I'm most active on Instagram. So my, my username is at Yelm Jewy. So it's the first letter of my first name and then my whole last name, Elm Jewy. So Y Elm Jewy. Um, you can find me there. A lot of my videos are cross-posted with AJ Plus. So if I have something, I work for AJ Plus. So any video that I make for AJ Plus will also now, thankfully to this new feature, be cross-posted on my page. And you can also just search my name on YouTube and you'll see all manner of me, you know, eating a phallic clam or me doing God knows what. Um, so <laughs> All, all manner of things. All your adventures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'll add that to the show notes also. Um, amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I'm, I'm so grateful, so happy that you had the time to come and talk with me today. Oh, I'm so touched that you had the time to reach out to me and, or- <laughs> oh and orchestrate this. It's such a pleasure to be on this podcast. I love talking about languages. So oh, thank you for having me out. Of course. I like to end on the same question mm. also every episode. I do this because this is my chance to learn, mm. my chance to to try something new. Mm. Uh, do you have any jokes, popular Ooh. sayings, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms words of wisdom <laughs> or words of advice in persian in farsi Ooh, to share okay. yes and i to, did think about this and to teach to teach us well i i do have a poem and i'm kind of a little bit of a broken record player here with this poem because mm-hmm. i it is one of my favorites it also is one of the very few poems i've or <laughs> parts of a poem that i've memorized but it's uh it's a poem from hafez and two of the lines are i think two uh, so that is a safe place so let me, let me just do it. Um, a safe place pure you know unadulterated wine and loyal friends if all of those are provided that my friend is success so yeah that's kind of one of my favorites i love that yeah the simple things of life right like yeah you know wine whether it's sustenance or food whatever it is really loyal you know uh loyal friends and a safe you know a roof over your head you're there with your friends you're having some food you're having wine whatever it is you're together you're you're being happy you're you know what is what is life besides (laughs) i mean i know we like to uh, climb the career ladder get the thing get this get that but if you don't have friends and you don't have shelter and i don't know i just feel like yeah those are kind of yeah rungs of uh, life that's what we need in life yeah that's all I need in life. I will, <laughs> yeah. I will confirm that. Um, <laughs> and try, I can I can offer you more if you want. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have, but I think if, that's that's yeah. Yeah. So since that's long, in the interest yeah. of time, yeah, I would like to take this slow and repeat after you oh. two words at a time. Okay. And try maybe my first Persian sentences. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. And I apologize to my my Iranian brothers and sisters for the mispronunciations i will have but i'm trying and that's what learning a language is about so i'm ready when you are and i have my pencil if i have to write anything down so yeah take it away i will just say people don't speak like this This is very much poetry language but it's okay good okay so (laughs) it's um amn. so that would be yeah you want to try Ah, uh, and this one's a little difficult because it's a couple consonants together. Amn. Amn. Perfect. Perfect. Makome amn. Makome amn. That means safe place. Meyebirash. So you would say, yeah. Meyebirash. Meyebir. Like the R in French. I know. It's the I. Like in Arabic. I'm yeah, working yeah. my way through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah. Okay, start over. So, uh, that yeah, amn may be rash. May be rash. Perfect. 
مقام ام می بیرش مقام ام و می بیرش و رفیق شفیق oh, this is the قاف رفیق شفیق رفیق شفیق exactly and to think about this word we've all seen lion kings lion king lion kings oh god I sound like my parents <laughs> have you seen the lion kings uh, <laughs> The Lions Kings? <laughs> anyway, but um, <laughs> I love it. Um, but the name Rafiki, you know, mm-hmm. you know that character, the baboon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafiki is an Arabic word. Rafiq is an Arabic word for friend. Yeah. So Rafiki actually means my friend. Rafiki, my friend. Yeah. So think about this. Rafiq Shafiq. So friend is Rafiq. Shafiq is like loyal. So Rafiq. Wait, one more time. Rafiq Shafiq. Rafiq Shahrik. Shafiq. Think Shafiq. about it as a G. Shafiq. Shafiq. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Think Shafiq of it as a K. Shafiq. Shafiq. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rafiq Shafiq. Oh, this is a... Okay, we're almost there. <laughs> Garat Modam. Garat. Garat mm-hmm. Modam. Moyasar. Moyasar. Shavad. Shavad Zehi Zehi Tofik Tofik <laughs> So I mean I, I don't expect you to remember it's it's quite yeah but yeah Nagomaam maybe Rasho Rafi Rashafir Garat Modam Moyasar Shavad Zehi Tofi You make it sound so good, Yara no this is great no this is really great because and i like to do this at the end of every episode because obviously there are sounds that i mm-hmm. am not familiar with making and mm-hmm. i'm actually supposed to be learning arabic right now and Ooh. i didn't get very far yet um but that's one of like the line is like where i mm-hmm. like uh it's gonna take me a while to pray and 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 i want to do this because i want people listening to just know that like yeah you could be intimidated or you mm-hmm. could be worried about making mistakes but like you're supposed to make mistakes because that's totally how better and that's how you you know that I, I want people to try mm-hmm. so I put myself out there to try some new sounds and yeah and I, another note about Rafiki what's interesting is that it's a uh a lot of the names in the Lion King come from Swahili Ooh. and Swahili is greatly influenced by arabic so totally. this is like all coming together right it's, it's crazy when you think about yeah, the links yeah yeah it's really amazing yeah um thanks for teaching me that of course my pleasure thanks for your, thanks for your i patience. can write it out for you in an email as well <laughs> yeah please yeah. because i think yeah. that's such a beautiful a beautiful saying as well um so thanks for teaching me for teaching us hopefully my listeners practiced along uh, with us and saying that so oh this has been amazing yeah thank this has been so lovely much. thank you so much l <laughs> uh in this situation after you've been talking to someone for quite some time if you're mm-hmm. in iran uh or you're speaking with someone who also speaks persian farsi what is the best way to say goodbye well we'll do two things uh okay. obviously you can just goodbye normally and it's it's in in persian we say khodafiz Khodafiz. And it's interesting, in Urdu, they also say Khodafiz in Pakistan. So it's yeah. it's a very fascinating sort of, yeah. Um, but yes, Khodafiz uh, means, you know, may God protect you. So, but we just kind of slip it together and we say Khodafiz. That's one way. So if you want to try. 
Khadafiz. Perfect. And then another thing to do is you've now done some work for an hour and a half, right? And you've accomplished this, you know, this podcast has come together. It's taken some, it's taken effort. You may be a little tired. So <laughs> what we say usually after a big sort of hurdle or something that requires effort is we'll say bravo, right? It's kind of like a bravo. Mm-hmm. We say chaste naboshit. Chaste naboshit. And it trans naboshid with a D. Naboshid. Haste yeah. naboshid. And what that translates to is don't be tired. Like oh. it's almost an acknowledgement of, you know, bravo. You, you know, you've you've tired yourself. I don't know how to describe bravo. Like you've crossed this mountain, you've you've scaled this mountain. Bravo. Don't be tired. Like I acknowledge your your labor. Oh my <laughs> god! Your tiredness. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, you might say that to someone after a long, you know, arduous or not arduous. I mean, this wasn't really arduous, but you know, something big and long that you've with an effort. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. After a basketball game, you know, you could tell your friend who played basketball with his friends, "Hey, bravo, Kastanaboshid! You just played for an hour. You must be tired, and you won." <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh wow, those are great. Let me try to remember how to say them. Khalafis, Yara, Astenaboshid. Great, excellent. Yara, thank you so much again, and I'll be talking to you soon. Lovely. Looking forward to it, El. <laughs> Bye. Bye. New episodes of Speaking Tongues are available every Monday, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to like and share episodes with other language lovers like ourselves. Khalafis.